0: From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McHour here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, one woman's fight against America's dirty secret, what's in store for climate tech in 2021, why EVs are a job creation machine, and reflections on 2020 from Dell, Pepsi, Intel, and others. We're still ringing in the new this week on 350. It's January 8th, 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. I think you can still say that. And welcome to the first edition of Green Biz 350 of this new year. Joining me for yet another year from Midland Park, New Jersey, is Green Biz Editorial Director, Heather Clancy. Hey, Heather. Happy
1: 2021. Hey, Joel. Happy New Year. You sound very sure of yourself uh, and confident that I'll be here at the end of the year. <laughs> I will be, of course. Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait. Is there something I should know?
1: No, no. I just feel... Uh, it's. It just seems so weird to think about December 2021 <laughs> already. I just my mind leapt forward, and I thought, "Oh."
0: Well, what a way this year has started in the world, and here in the United States in particular. I mean, uh, I don't even know what to say about what happened in Washington this week, except that it seems to be calming down. And uh, although I think that may be just temporary, uh, how are you doing?
1: I gotta say, Joel, that I wasn't surprised. No. I wish I could say I was surprised by what happened, but I wasn't surprised. I'm grateful that um, that more lives weren't lost. Uh, I'm sad. I'm so saddened by by the state of affairs and, and what what uh, the world must be thinking when they look at us. Um, it's a very sad moment for me.
0: It is. It, it, it is indeed yeah i mean just you know moving quickly through that to the brighter moment i think yes. that the senate uh, race uh, really bodes well mm-hmm. for a lot of what we talk about and care about mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the clean economy and the, the much more rapid uptake of of renewable uh, energy and and other clean technologies and then of course uh, climate action so That, uh, you know, kind of got overshadowed, but that's non-trivial and it's going to have a a, a lasting impact uh, and hopefully a positive one. We'll see. Obviously, this proof is in that legislative pudding. But you know what? The year is going to be an exciting one. I am, uh, in general, uh, excited about all that's yet to come this year. And that includes uh, a lot of what we've got going on uh, here at Green Biz. And uh, if you uh, saw my newsletter, Green Buzz uh, comes out every Monday. If you saw it this week, I gave a little bit of a preview of what's coming up. Um, and uh, uh, it's it's a lot, right, Heather?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a ton, uh, and including uh, the Green Biz 21 event we have coming up in February, and Green Fin, the new standalone event in April. And yeah, it's a, an exciting year. Um, I've, I'm putting the finishing touches on the uh, third annual um, badass women in corporate sustainability list. I'm very excited about how that that is shaping up. I, yeah, I, I, I have to say, um, I feel like we haven't paused at all. Uh, there's so many exciting things going on in the Green Biz family. And, you know, I just just to reflect back for one moment on Georgia. I mean, what, what that state is telling me is that people care. And that when people care and take action and, and respond and participate and include their voices, that change can happen. And I so I'm very positive. I'm like feeling very optimistic about that part of this week. And I see that that potential in our own community, having a new di- dialogue and, and moving forward. So I just I had to reflect back for a moment. But it's just, I, it is such an exciting year for us um, and for, for us in the community at large.
0: Yeah. And and you mentioned stuff happening in February and March and May and all that. But uh, this month in January, two things I want to bring up. One is our 14th annual State of Green Business Report will be coming out on January 25th. There will be a webcast on that. You can sign up. We'll attach a link to that to the web page for this week's episode. It's a monster. Go... <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um and then uh, on before that, on January 20th, we will be inaugurating the uh, first edition of Greenfin Weekly, our new weekly newsletter, our seventh, uh, focusing on the world of ESG and sustainable finance. So those are coming up, lots more as well. Um, but you know what, let's go back and take another look at the Week in Review. Well, let's start off the new year talking about jobs, mm. uh, specifically jobs created by EV electric vehicle companies. I mean, this is going to be one of the great success stories uh, coming up. It's been one uh, all along. We've talked about the potential of, you know, solar and wind electric vehicles. Those are usually the big three people mentioned when you talk about the clean economy, and And those have been happening. I mean, the job creation is is significant. But this week we have a report from our intrepid transportation uh, analyst, Katie Fehrenbacher, about uh, why this is going to be a big year for American jobs created by e v companies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she starts off by referencing the potential uh, uh, among within the Biden administration, right? And now we know, as as we were mentioning before, that it the agenda is a little bit probably easier to pass than by you know, than simply by executive order. But what Katie points out that I hadn't really thought about before was how many jobs are already being created by the automakers, the electric vehicle automakers, many of whom are coming from other countries. Like there's a arrival is is from the UK, and they they signed a big deal with UPS at the beginning of um, 2020. And part of that, part of what they're planning now is to bring uh, a factory to South Carolina. And uh, Lion is another uh, company. Um, they're from Montreal. They've got, they're making buses and, and trucks, and they're also planning to expand it to the United States and got funding to do so. Um, so the, the the point being that the, the auto industry, you know, the, the combustion engine auto industry created a lot of jobs in, in the United States over, over its history. And now it looks like the, Electric auto industry could do the same, um, and that that's an exciting prospect and and a and a good good signs of hope for for the industries that that have been seeing losses from the internal combustion engine going away. You know, so I think um, that the private sector is going to is going to do their part.
0: Right, and and the. Uh nomination of Jennifer Granholm as the uh, energy secretary uh, is, I think, significant here. It could play a significant role. Uh, She was, of course, Michigan's governor and uh, worked closely with the Obama administration during the uh, 2008 financial crisis to help bring the uh, auto industry through that uh, relatively unscathed, or at least alive, uh, and did not Die the way it, it seemed to be when it was in free fall uh, at, at one point during that uh, tumultuous year. Uh, so I think that's going to be an important part of this too, is having people who have uh, in the administration who have worked closely uh, with the industry and uh, and the unions and uh, the and the owners and uh, know uh, how to how to make things work. Yeah,
1: and lest we forget, the infrastructure challenge behind this is huge and also a great opportunity right so the utilities are are putting trying to put ev uh, infrastructure in place and that again is, an, is a, a job potential that we haven't really talked about or seen talked about so um, it's not just the automators the utility companies could definitely be playing a role too
0: yep and that brings us to another story one that you did heather about climate tech mm-hmm. and why uh, last year was a breakthrough year but and what's going to be happening uh, in 2021 uh, mm-hmm. tell us
1: <laughs> well so yeah and 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 this is a piece that i i first really started exploring early in the year before everything kind of imploded and it and we were worried at that i was worried and upon my initial reporting that maybe the the sector would be held back but that has been far from the case there's been a ton of money um and particularly a ton of corporate money fl- uh, flowing into the The climate technologies, you know, if you think about it, I'll just throw a number out at you there, Joel, $3 billion, $3 billion. That's just what Microsoft and Amazon have pledged to putting into this climate tech innovation movement. There's also a lot of money from oil companies, right, as they try to figure out where they're going to be relevant in the future. We're finally starting to see some money also flowing into the circular economy startups like TerraCycle. Got a uh, 25 million Series A round for the Loop venture um, that they've been pioneering that with with renew, reusable packaging. So, um, for me, that was the, there's you know point point one is that there's a lot of money starting to flow into this. And point two, I, and this is potentially an even more exciting thing in my mind, is that we've we've begun to see um, people connect the dots between climate technology and environmental justice, and looking at startups that can help bridge the gap on both. So I'll just point to one company that uh, got some money in November, Acc- Acclima, which got 40 million from uh, from some, a number of companies, including Microsoft. Uh, For air pollution monitoring, um, and and particularly they're focused on communities where where there has been not, not necessarily focus on this in the past, Cox Enterprise also shifted the focus of its social impact accelerator program with Techstars, to prioritize startups that are dedicated to addressing systemic racism. And a woman of color, Lisa Dyson, who runs the company Kiverity and also Air Protein, um, she uh, snagged her first real appreciable amount of, of venture capital as well just this week. So I'm, I'm excited um, that that my prediction is already paying off, <laughs> I suppose, or coming true or however you want to put it. But, um, yeah, I think it's definitely something to watch in 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 the year ahead, the corporate money, and also the focus on addressing uh, systemic racism and environmental justice.
0: Well, uh, lots going on there. That is a really exciting area. But before we put a wrap on this segment, let's talk about (laughs) packaging. Good Uh, one. So sorry, I'm starting off the new year in bad form. Um, uh, Meg Wilcox, our, our contributor, uh, wrote a piece on on five sustainable packaging developments to watch in 2021. And uh, you know, <laughs> I was thinking when I was reading this, it, it almost feels like a quaint uh, moment when we were all concerned about packaging and straws and plastic. Yeah, <laughs> a couple years ago, year and a half, two years ago, I've lost track. Uh, but um, Those issues have certainly not gone away. In fact, in some ways they've gotten even worse and there's a lot more reckoning to come on this. Uh, But uh, there's uh, one of the trends she talks about is the fact that uh, there is this uh, reckoning from shareholders on companies and uh, that's been going on for a while, but even more so where shareholders will be uh, looking at a lot of these issues. But um, on the more positive side, uh, proactive side the, the whole reuse piece is continuing to come back um, it started uh, a couple years ago but particularly with loop uh, the terracycle uh, initiative that uh, that we've t- talked about and had their CEO Tom Zaki on uh, several of our uh, events and programs uh, but that's really starting to to ramp up in some s- significant ways not just in the initial way that uh, you could bring your packaging back or return your packaging for, uh, but, but it's also now starting into, uh, some other retailers are, are, are signing on to this. And so, uh, and restaurants, Burger King, McDonald's, mm-hmm. Tim Hortons uh, up in Canada, uh, looking at how to use re- reusable packaging in a number of ways um, and compostable packaging and, and uh, on and on. I think that's a really uh, interesting and exciting area.
1: Yeah, on the reuse front, I, I actually have been buying cleaning products from a company called Three Main, and they have aluminum, which is another, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the containers have been other materials aside from aluminum, but th- that's an area. I, I also love this. <laughs> this there's an experiment, which I can really relate to, um, in reusable wine bottles, <laughs> <laughs> so Bring your wine yeah. bottle back, get, get them refilled, um, et cetera. And that, 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 uh, that seems to me the, the, the thing that many of my friends would appreciate and be willing to try. Um, beyond what you've already mentioned, I want to point to the role of extended producer responsibility, because that has been historically uh, a sticking point, right? The idea of, of the companies that make these products and are putting those packages out there that they need to take a a firmer um, stand in helping bring them back, bring them to places where they can be recycled, figuring out how they are collected, helping make the investments to make sure that they can be processed. And there seems to be some movement um, as far as as extended producer responsibility goes. The Flexible Packaging Association and Product Stewardship Association uh, released a joint statement in December um, really focusing on trying to, to find better ways for flexible packaging, right? So, um, and there's been some other movements as well. So that's that's an area that I think um, we really could use more leadership from and definitely something we should be watching closely in 2021.
0: Yeah, again, I love the, your favorite example there. And I think it <laughs> brings us a new phrase, which is uh, new wine in an old bottle.
1: I don't know what i'm going to do with all the wine bottles i put my little solar things into though (laughs) anyway so but yeah i think i think just playing to consumer habits um that's a smart thing to do and why not try it with that i think i think you know they're going to find an audience that they they didn't necessarily have it's not the the sustainable consumer it's just the consumer who really wants to to do things differently
2: It's Diana Anderson, associate editor at GreenBiz. In mid-December, I spoke with Katherine Coleman Flowers, who is an environmental health advocate and author of recent book Waste: One Woman's Fight Against America's Dirty Secret. For nearly two decades, Flowers, who's also a recent awardee of the MacArthur Foundation's Genius Grant, has been bringing attention to failing water and waste sanitation infrastructure in rural areas across the United States and the world. The following are some clips from our conversation. For those who have not read the book, I'm curious if you can just kind of give an overview of what the dirty secret is um that you mention um in the title.
3: Well, the dirty secret is that there are many Americans that are living with um with waste that comes from their toilets whether it is through straight piping which is flushing the toilets and it comes straight out on top of the ground or into a pit or wherever, or whether it's through a failing septic system, which means that when it fails, there's sewage from their homes, usually from their toilets, of course. I just want to be graphic because that's what it is. And it ends up either out on top of the ground or comes back into their homes, sometimes into their bathtubs, or they're in these, uh, they're part of these community systems that are supposed to be managed, but they were built in a way in which they were not sustainable And consequently, uh, people have sewage coming back into their homes or into their yards.
2: Something that I am curious about. So a few weeks ago, you were in conversation with Kalia Ali Wertheimer. Yes. During your conversation, you mentioned um, how you would love for more rural communities to be included in conversations like related to the Green New Deal. And I'm curious um, if you can share like why it's an important Thing to include rural communities in these conversations.
3: I think. I think oftentimes what we do, and and, and it's unintentional. I think oftentimes what we do is uh, we we frame our solutions or we frame our um, our conversations from with an urban perspective that inadvertently is is biased against rural communities. It leaves them out. And I think also there's some common sense solutions that could come from rural communities when we talk about. Uh, green infrastructure. Of course, we talk rightfully so about um, transportation systems that would move large amounts of people from one place to the other, and we talk about the grid and how the grid could connect cities. But we need to connect those places in between as well, because even right now, a lot of people don't have access to broadband internet services. There's some parts of the country, especially in rural communities, where people their cell phones may not work because there aren't cell towers nearby. So all of these kinds of things that we just assume that everybody has is not true. That's why I believe that people from rural communities should be part of any discussion that we have about uh, a Green New Deal and green infrastructure. Because I think that they can also inform that conversation. And how do we get it to those areas that have been left behind and what we currently have? So we don't need to keep skipping over these communities.
2: Mm-hmm definitely when i was listening to you talk it also made me think about like like people need to be deeply embedded with the communities in which they're working in in order to like really really understand and like make sure that everyone is included you basically just said that but like i'm thinking more and more about that um, and i'm wondering with that in mind what you might what your answer to my next question is um, because the green biz audience is mostly like corporate sustainability people um I'm just curious about how companies can like help rural communities and support organizations like yours.
3: Well, I think companies can offer they they do come with expertise that we don't have. And they can also help expand our capacity and and they're and they can contribute to organizations like ours so that we can do the work. Some of them can serve as board members, some of them can serve as advisors, they can host seminars to um, to educate their staff about these issues. Some of them could also visit as well when it's feasible to visit again. And there, and certainly there are services that they offer that people in rural communities want as well. So, so in some cases, uh, some of these smaller areas cannot have sustainability offices. Wouldn't it be great if some of these companies would partner with, with communities that don't have that, that can actually go in and help them develop um, more sustainable practices? Uh, in those communities. So there are lots of things that can be done. And I'm sure if you talk to somebody else from from a rural community that they would have other ideas. But I think developing those partnerships and also pushing, I think businesses have a role in terms of pushing, you know, I we think about the, the, I used to be, um, I taught social studies. So, you know, I remember teaching state and local government and, and history. And we know that there are three branches of government, but we know that, you know, that the, uh, there are some other uh, unofficial branches of the government like the media. But I think the business community plays a, a key role as well. And the business community can be uh, very helpful in, in states in pushing for the state governments to to not leave out rural communities and to making sure that there's infrastructure in place uh, for these rural communities so that they can locate. Because a lot of, when I was the economic development coordinator, I couldn't recruit a lot of businesses to Lyons County because they require certain things that we did not have in terms of just basic infrastructure. So by pushing for those things to happen and pushing for states to provide that infrastructure, not just in the places that already have it, but also in the places that need it, I think that that can can go a long way in getting us there further and sooner.
2: For the rest of my conversation with flowers, you can head to greenbiz.com to read it in full.
1: As promised before the end of last year, we're going to uh, button up this episode with reflections from sustainability leaders, uh, from Dell, Ecolab, uh, Pepsi, as we mentioned in the intro, and uh, enjoy these reflections.
4: Hi, this is Paige Motes, Corporate Sustainability Director for Dell Technologies. You know, as I look back on 2020, it has been a really wild year but also a really rewarding and exciting one. Because as much as we've had this great pause, we've also seen around the world a doubling down on focus on things like climate and energy. And for a practitioner, that's really exciting because there's this real connection, not only to what's happening from a human health standpoint right now, but also our planetary health. And people are really seeing that we cannot take our eye off of the ball You know, some of the things that are in my mind that I think have changed a bit this year have been, we have to get really creative in how we advance these goals. You know, Dell came out in November of 2019 with another 10-year set of goals. We called it Progress Made Real. And making progress in the middle of a pandemic is difficult. And we had to get really creative and innovative. And we have to continue that work into 2021 and beyond you know, one of the things that is on my mind and probably others' minds is how do we start to work within this new normal of having people at home? What does that mean for our climate and energy goals? How do we um, work with our employees on best practices so that we're all in this work together? I also think about things like recycling. Um, it's difficult to do recycling properly when you're all locked down. Um, but as we're starting to emerge in 2021, how do we accelerate and amplify that work so we're not losing any ground whatsoever? So these are just two things that are on my mind. I'm really looking forward to partnering with others in our company and beyond the Dell Technologies ecosystem so that we can do more on this wonderful work together.
1: Hi,
5: I'm Jill Colling and I lead global sustainability at Cargill. I think like most of you, I feel like 2020 brought all of us more than our fair share. But still, I'm looking ahead to 2021 with optimism, because through all of these challenges, I saw a bright spot, and that was the way communities came together, globally and locally. I see collaboration like this daily in my role at Cargill, between my colleagues, the farmers and ranchers we work with, the NGO community, customers, and others. And I did not see this slow in 2020. In fact, I saw more of it. For example, in September, Cargill announced our commitment to support farmers as they adopt regenerative agriculture practices across 10 million acres of North American farmland. We believe that agriculture is how we can create a resilient food system and protect against challenges like climate change. To help us achieve this goal, we've launched several programs and the consistent element between all of them, they all require collaboration across the value chain to be successful. So as I think about the year to come, I'm focused on ways we can accelerate our efforts and think more boldly. To reach our collective goals, we have to further scale our efforts as Cargill and as an industry. No one company can do this alone. Collaboration is how we'll be successful, and that's what I'm prioritizing for 2021.
6: Hello, this is Emilio Tenuta, Chief Sustainability Officer for Ecolab. And the pandemic changed my perspective in many ways during 2020. Here are a few of my thoughts. There were countless topics from remote work to public health, to the advances we need to make around social and racial equity that impacted our personal and work lives. Throughout it all, I've been reminded of the importance of corporate responsibility and sustainability in helping organizations overcome these challenges. As companies of all sizes and industries focus on healthy and prosperous operations for their customers and employees, we know that sustainability, climate, and water action didn't slow down. Case in point, in a disruptive year, CDP saw an increase, almost 45% by the way, in the number of companies achieving an A score in water, climate, and forestry. Despite industry being focused on delivering cost savings, reducing resource waste, and getting healthy this year, companies set the strong message that climate action matters to drive resilience and growth for all of us. As a result, here are my 2021 priorities. Going into the new year, Ecolab is focused on protecting our teams and helping our customers weather the storm and become more resilient when it comes to climate, health, and water. The work connects back to our 2030 impact goals, which we launched in 2020. The goals focus on how we can make a positive impact in our world's water, food, health, climate, and how, the, how we can advance diversity and inclusion in our organization and our communities. We're going to continue to bring these ambitions to life and integrate them into our operations, helping our teams and our customers not only thrive, but to prosper as we start the new year.
7: Hi, I'm Margot Lyons, Product and Sustainability Manager at Koyuchi. The events that have transpired over the last year haven't changed my role as a sustainability professional so much as they have revealed the areas of our business that are mission critical those being the value of contribution and community the pandemic has impacted all businesses differently but for koichi this year has demonstrated the immeasurable value of our partners textile supply networks can be complicated so when manufacturing worldwide came to a grinding halt in march Koyuchi's success relied heavily on transparency from suppliers, not only around making good on orders, but also maintaining safe working conditions for employees. This shared value among vendors and partners brought to the surface the importance of choosing working relationships that help address the challenges at hand, as well as those we need to address as a society, focus less on ourselves as individuals, and act at scale. This year has also spotlighted the critical importance of citizenship and supporting our local communities. The pandemic has demonstrated that real change must begin at the community level, which requires more time than many of us had or gave because we were so busy working. However, as a sustainability professional, time invested where I physically live is just as much a contributor of my value as what I do for our product. At the business level in 2020, This is translated to initiatives such as donations for wildfire victims and a $50,000 investment in the advancement of regenerative agriculture in California. In 2021, Koyuchi will continue to nurture these relationships in contribution and community to advance our initiatives in the fight against climate change. Through our programs in circularity, renewal, and regenerative business practices, we hope to continue to persevere in the face of challenges presented by COVID-19.
8: Hi, I'm Clay Nessler, Vice President of Global Energy and Sustainability at Johns Controls. The pandemic changed my work in many ways during 2020, but the biggest shift has been the challenge of addressing the critically urgent S in ESG without leaving the E and G behind. 2020 started out with a focus on E as we were preparing to submit our science-based targets and were beginning to consider different scenarios for a carbon neutral commitment. Then came the call from the provincial government in Wuhan, China, and within a day, we were dispatching building engineers on-site to help build a 1,000-bed temporary hospital. Unfortunately, that experience proved valuable as we exported our knowledge and technology to temporary facilities in the U.S. and beyond. As if COVID-19 weren't challenging enough, buildings then started experiencing multiple disasters. Severe flooding in Michigan caused two dams to break and flood local communities, forcing evacuations of potentially COVID-19 positive residents to unprepared public facilities. We have been helping building owners across the country increase air filtration and ventilation, but wildfires force western states to reduce ventilation to protect building occupants from poor outdoor air quality. Now that it is starting to get cold in the northern part of the country, we're seeing double-digit increases in energy use in occupied commercial buildings due to increased ventilation requirements, but also way more energy use than expected in unoccupied office buildings. This is not good news for the E in ESG. It means we have to rethink how buildings are designed and operated to be healthy and safe, but also sustainable and resilient in an era of increasing threats. After 10 months, I now realize that ES and G are all vital elements in protecting our physical and natural systems and apply as much to our healthy and sustainable buildings as they do to our healthy and sustainable planet.
9: Hi, my name is Alice Steenland. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer at Dassault Systems, the technology firm. 2020 has, I think, completely transformed the jobs and the lives of sustainability professionals. A lot of us were worried that uh, this topic would be uh, relegated to a back corner uh, and everyone would be focused on financial survival. But we have been amazed at how uh, naturally, actually, people have made the connection between the natural world, um, what's happening to us today, and the need to accelerate ambition on sustainability. So it has been very dramatic. The acceleration is real, you can feel it, you can feel the urgency in a way we never have before. Um, So my priority for 2021 is to uh, accelerate as fast as possible. And in our case specifically, to get um, sustainable virtual twins into the hands of as many of our customers and as many global Uh, manufacturers of anything uh, in the world, as we can. Um, So that's my personal goal, and I'd be happy to talk about it uh, with um, anyone and everyone interested in listening.
10: Hi, I'm Jim Andrew, Chief Sustainability Officer for PepsiCo, a role I took on a few months ago. From my perspective, the challenges of 2020 have been affirmational, and in fact, inspirational. I say that because I'm very fortunate to be part of an organization that is far along on its sustainability journey. Throughout the challenges of 2020, we pushed through achieving milestones like signing the Business Ambition for 1.5 degrees C pledge, committing to set science-based emissions reduction targets and furthering our transition to 100% renewable electricity globally. If anything, the widespread disruption that 2020 brought increased our resolve it's shown us the realities of global change the power of collective action and the importance of our efforts to help create a better more positive future that works for everyone really 2020 has validated in many ways the vision and goals of the sustainability community and that's inspiring but of course it's also revealed vulnerabilities From my perspective, what will change is the speed with which we all act. And at PepsiCo, we feel that urgency because we understand better than ever that the world is transforming rapidly and we don't have the luxury of time. So as I turn my attention to 2021, I'm looking for ways we can achieve our goals and vision more quickly. With my colleagues at PepsiCo, I'm looking for ways we can double down on our efforts and drive systemic change to help create a more sustainable and resilient food system. For example, designing sustainability into products and systems from the very start, or working with innovative partners to overcome hurdles that no one company can by itself. And I'm looking for ways we can accelerate and expand our goals and ambitions. Because climate change and the challenges that come along with it are increasing every day. They're getting bigger. And so we have to think, and more importantly act, bigger and also faster.
11: Hi, I'm Suzanne Fallander. I head of Global Corporate Responsibility at Intel. And what the pandemic and the events of 2020 made clear for me was how the complexity, interconnectedness, and urgency of the issues we faced underscored the importance of the work we do in sustainability, but also that we need to go faster and work differently. We need bolder goals from individual companies for sure, but also increased industry collaboration and new levels of investments in technology solutions and infrastructure to accelerate progress. From COVID-19 to racial justice to the climate crisis, the events of 2020 drove new and important conversations on how to address systemic inclusion and social equity issues. This year, Intel set our own new 2030 corporate responsibility and climate goals and also launched a pandemic response technology initiative to increase investments and collaboration with our customers and others on COVID-related health and online learning technology solutions. On a more personal level, 2020 led me to think about the future of work, and how to find new ways to stay connected and collaborate with others, the impact of the digital divide on communities, and the importance of employers prioritizing flexibility, support, and mental health resources. I also thought about how corporate responsibility and inclusion can play an even greater role in employee engagement, and the importance of being able to help people connect their work to deeper meaning and purpose during these challenging times. As we begin 2021, my top priority is progress on our new 2030 goals and more deeply engaging our employees, our investors, customers, communities, as well as the broader sustainability community to collaborate on technology solutions and partnerships that can improve health and safety, increase inclusion, equity, and accessibility, and drive us all closer toward carbon neutral computing. I wish you all the best for a healthy and safe 2021.
0: And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, you can go to greenbiz.com slash 350, and you'll find out more about the organization's stories and events we mentioned this week. And while you're there, check out our e-newsletters. We've got six, soon to be seven of them. Go to greenbiz.com slash newsletters. You can find out more about them. As I said, we'll be launching Green fin Weekly on January 20th, and you can sign up now. We welcome your comments, questions, and tips. Our email address is 350 at greenbiz.com. Heather and I will be back next week with another edition of Greenbiz350. Until next time, from all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks so much for tuning in.